This morning we're going to think a little bit about what it's like being born a girl in the Middle East or in Morocco or a North African country. In the culture of the Muslim world, it's greatly desired to have lots of children and especially sons, which isn't surprising, but also to have daughters. A woman who doesn't have any children is often thought of in a very bad way, and it's a very hard burden to bear. In some of the countries, when you have no children, you're addressed uh, with a particular name that everyone who hears it, they realize that when you're called Aisha or Fatima, that you have no children. But if you're called mother of Omar and mother of Ali, then immediately the person hearing your name attached to the word mother and the name of your son or your daughter, you are being addressed as a woman with children. And the woman without children is always addressed bearing a, a statement that tells everyone this woman has no children. So it's quite a hard thing to bear. And it's also difficult because many times women feared they would be divorced if they had no children or their husband would have a co-wife. Quite often I found the story of Hannah in the Old Testament, a story that my Muslim friends and women understood very well, to have longed for a child and longed to have them. And the co-wife, who had many, was a burden and a problem they could well understand. And to hear that God answers prayer, that God hears a woman crying to have her child, and that God answers is a very welcome story. They would like to cry to God as well and hear God answer them. We had a few experiences like that at our center with the women in the English classes. One Iraqi friend, Susanna, had been married for six or seven years and prayed and prayed for a child. One morning at the class, she spoke to Megda and said, would you pray for me too to have a child? And Megda prayed with her, just with Susanna, to have a child. Um, and Susanna told the other woman, we've prayed about my having a baby. And in a few weeks' time, Susanna came one morning and said, well, I'm pregnant. And all the other ladies said, oh, Magda, we got to pray with you too. Pray that I have a son. Pray that I have a child. Um, it was, they discovered, they thought perhaps a magic thing that we could pray with Magda and they would have children too. But it was an experience of, them seeing that God hears. And we also discovered in doing that, whenever we prayed with them for things, we tried to remember to also pray again and thank God that he heard, helping them to continue to see the personal relationship with God rather than just having answers or getting the things we wanted. When a little girl is born, sometimes it's kind of, a disappointment, although I think today with many people that's not so much true. But I had a friend who had six girls, and each time she longed that the next one would be a son. And they had nine girls before they had a boy. So it isn't easy always to be the one who doesn't have a son. But in a girl's birth, there is still a lot of celebration. <clears throat> the celebration might be bigger if it's a boy but not so much as in the past. But still, there's quite a bit of ceremony and not naming the baby until the seventh day. 
And so they'd sometimes give the baby a, another name that you can call the baby. But on the seventh day, on the day of the celebration, then the baby's name is given. And that probably too reminds you of that celebration of John the Baptist when the people came and wanted to find out the name and on the special time that Zachariah told them that he was John. Um, I have a little poem that's really a song and I often heard it when I went to baby celebrations. It's a song about the mother who had the daughter. Oh, if you give birth to a girl, you deserve to be hit with a mug and your husband should never sleep with you again. You deserve to be tied up and hung from a vine. But if you give birth to a boy, you deserve all the village gifts, baskets full of henna and good things, jingling bracelets, and a sheep slaughtered for your son. The celebration will be big, and the fat tail of the sheep. But she who brings good news of a son deserves a camel load of good things, a house facing Mecca, servants and slaves, and a handful of handsome things. But she who bears the girl deserves to be hit with the mug and stay at home forever, hidden away. Ah, said the mother who had the girl, you old mother of son, my daughter will grow up and take your son. He will, she will eat up all his stores and make his home hers. And she will use your oil to shine her hair and you will keep on nagging. Oh, just like a yapping dog. So often the songs mock the culture and sing the story of the past. Young children are, usually have quite a happy life as small because usually there's not much restriction. They can do most everything. And in the former times when you have the extended family, all the aunties and the uncles and the various people help care for them. It was a much more easy way for the mum. But now living in Europe and living away from the family, bringing up the children is of quite a different story and quite more difficult than it was. You don't have all the babysitters that you had in the extended family. And so you have to find ways to cope and handle the children yourself and alone. Because many of our families that originally were living in larger extended families, when they come to live in America and live in Europe, they live just as a nuclear family there to do all their own with the child. And I often found it's quite difficult because they depended very much on family and moms and aunties to help in the raising of the child and telling them the various things, especially on your first child, the experience of not ever knowing what to do. Little children sometimes go off to school uh, the Quranic school first. And even in London, we have Quranic schools where some of the little children go off to. But schooling is very much a part of their life. But I have a few friends because many people who are now over 40 in the time when they were children, many of them never went beyond the primary school. Have a lovely friend called Fatima who never went to school at all. She was born in... Casablanca, one of the largest cities, and she was never sent to school at all, although everybody else in that city should have been sent to school, and she too should have gone because the law said so, but that doesn't always affect what happens. And Fatima never went to school, but she went to work in a rug factory. And then at the age of 10 or 12, she's not sure 
she said she was 10, but then she said, perhaps I was a little older. I'm not really sure. I never had a certificate to say when I was born. But by that time, I was married to a man 20 years older than me, and he had a job in Spain. I left my family in Morocco and never went home for many years, and she stayed in Spain. But over the last years, the Spanish government has had many economic problems, and she lost her job. So she came to live in, in the UK and study English, but she has never been able to read or write in any language, although she now speaks three or four. She can't read them or write them. And so she's been trying to learn at the age of 42 how to read, and she's so eager to learn and, and go on. She's an amazing person. It's hard to grapple that this beautiful woman, with all her abilities, has never been to school. But that does happen sometimes, and sometimes the situations. And there are a couple other women in the English class. Omi Aisha also has never been to school, uh, but she works and has a great job and makes a good deal of money in London, but she has never gone to school. But because of that, she has sent both her children through school, through university, and both her children have a doctorate degrees and are working in very high-powered jobs. She was so urgent excited about making them have everything she never had. And she started to learn English just a few months ago, uh, written English, that is, because she speaks English quite well, but to try and learn something. So it's still a few of our friends around who haven't been to school. But technically speaking and in general, education has changed, and nearly everyone goes to school, at least through primary school. The system works a bit different than ours, and it's not always easy to pass all the exams. And some people leave school because they haven't passed the exams rather than that they couldn't be available to go. Also, during your childhood, as you grow and develop, you will reach the age of puberty. But before puberty, you would begin to learn to fast, the fast of Ramadan. And so the first year, often mother has you fast one or two days. It's quite interesting to see how delighted the parents are. My son, my daughter fasted two days, three days. The kind of, to see the child becoming, uh, understanding and being a part of the religion of the family. And then perhaps the next year they fast a week and two weeks. And by the time they're 11 or 12, they're probably fasting all of Ramadan. But mother is usually the one that's often involved in teaching the children. But there are other things to learn. They learn whether when you go out to walk outside, there's a code of behavior for the street and a code of behavior for the home and learning not to look at people eye to eye. Uh, sometimes that's a problem for some of us when we go to live in that part of the world that we don't look at people eye to eye, that we look at uh, at a different focus on their body, perhaps, so that we're not just looking directly at them. <clears throat> I was thinking of the story of Nadia Sawali. Nadia found it very difficult growing up as a girl. She wanted to be like her brother. She felt that he was free. When he popped out of bed, he just left the bed, and she had to clean up his places fix his bed. 
She felt she had to do many things that were so different. She wished to be like him, but as she grew older and bigger, she realized she was different. In fact, mother always called her girl, but then little by little she began to realize what it meant to be a girl, and she didn't like it. Uh, she thought if she had short hair, like her brother, then perhaps she could go outside easily and no one would know she was a girl. She could pass in the culture as a boy. So one day she went to the hairdresser and had all her hair chopped off and came home, but only to discover that it didn't really free her. It just meant all the more she had to stay in the house and be a girl, whatever that was. She was sure she was never going to get married and never be a part of all this life. Being a girl had seemed to her something she didn't want to be. Um, Nadia Sawali later became a woman psychologist who worked with women in prisons in Cairo and has done a marvelous work in helping women accept who they are and to recover from abuse or bad marriages or different problems. Um, perhaps she expressed herself more strongly than some other women would because of her ability to understand situations. Women and children learn to work, perhaps more in that culture, as children, because there are many things to do, and, but it's always a family job. Things are done together, so it doesn't always seem a hardship that it might seem to do work on your own. And home is kept. Things have changed so much today and the situations in many ways, and the roles for women have changed. Although it's still from the beginning was very much that women's role was in the home. But then the jobs that were available to women in the beginning seemed to be like more feminine jobs, jobs to be a secretary, jobs to do sewing and sometimes work in sewing factories or carpet factories or to work in shops or salespeople. But over the years, jobs have opened the door for women to be in medical things, and in education. Many of the women are teachers, and now even into the higher-ranking jobs of professors. But also the sciences and engineering, many things are open. It's a little surprising sometimes that all the jobs in the military are also open to women in many of these cultures. And legal jobs. When I lived in Tunis, we had quite a laugh when the first women... Um, person was appointed to the judicial branch of in America because there weren't any high-ranking women in that part of the government for a long time. And the Tunisian government printed pictures in the paper of all the women high-ranking judges that they had and said that we have had these judges for many years even though Americans have never had one. They were quite proud of their record. Um, so there is opportunities uh, for people to do almost anything. Marriages is still a very real part of the life and expected of everyone. Sometimes I struggle to understand how some of my friends were forced into marriages even though they had many problems. One of my friends who had great disabilities still was expected to marry Another friend who was blind was expected to marry. Everyone marries. And the 
uh, they just arranged marriage with them. But because of disabilities, they perhaps were not married to the, a young or an attractive person. They were married to someone who had been married before because finding a partner for someone who might not be able to produce all the children you wanted or keep the house or do things that other people could do would be a disability or a handicap, and yet they were still expected to be married. But today I'll have lots of friends who finding their own partners, but it isn't easy then to re welcome the acceptance of the parents to your choices. But generally what happens is they're married and things go quite well. And then there's some children. Mom and dad usually come after the children are born and accept the person. Although it may be at first, there's a disagreement. But one of the problems with not accepting to marry the parent's choice is if you marry the parent's choice, then your parents will help you if there are problems because they know and have arranged this. They feel the responsibility to see that the marriage works and the family has a responsibility to help the marriage to work because both families have agreed. But marrying your own choice puts more of the responsibility of not getting divorced or dis disturbed in the marriage because you have made the choice. In some Muslim countries, it is still possible to marry as teenagers, although this is not the common thing in most places. <clears throat> I think as we look over the kind of situation, how would you have felt to be married there? Or does it strike questions in your mind? You think about these situations, that they were difficult, or you would like to see changes for them. What would you like to change? I had a friend, in speaking with her, she said, oh, I wish they could all be born here. That would make life easy for them is the situation of having an easy life the question that we're looking for? Or we're looking for them to understand about God. Sometimes it's quite difficult for people to understand the difference between being born a Westerner or being born in a Christian family and becoming a Christian. It's very hard often for our Muslim friends to distinguish between you're a Westerner American or British, or you're a Christian. Understanding that isn't always visible and how to see what it is. I think another one of the questions is, how comfortable are you yourself? Are you happy with the way God made you as a person and feeling comfortable as a woman, being married or being single, in order to share the love of Christ with other people and to understand them, sometimes it's good for us first to have really understood ourselves and have come to acceptance of ourselves and are content and are happy with what God has given us. And then that gives you your story to share with your Muslim friends. How come you're happy to be like you are? Many of my students ask me, why are you happy to live in Tunis? Why are you happy not to earn lots of money? What caused you to come here? What is your story? And how would you do this? Sometimes I try to explain that I felt God wanted me to live here. 
And they said, well, why would God do that to you? Why did God not leave you live somewhere else and be very rich? Why is God that way? How does God work? And so it's very important to be comfortable yourself, know yourself, and know what God's plans are for you, and know how God works and how God brings contentment. Then you can give your story and share with them. I think one other question that comes in my mind about living and growing up there is how, if you are married living there, how you bring your children up in this culture, how you teach them to live in a culture that may not do everything the way you would have done in your own culture, and how they learn to live and adapt in this world. Again, it gives you another story to share how God took you there and how God's story in your life is the story you can tell them. I found the women are very happy to hear the story, very happy to know that God cares for women and God hears the prayers of women. Why not ask your friends about things and learn about who they are, where they were born and what it was like for them? And I'm sure then they'll begin to ask you questions. What was it like for you?